Our scripture passage today is from the book of Ecclesiastes, verses, chapter 5, verses 10 to 20. Before we read that, let us pause for a moment in prayer. Great and wonderful God, who has given us all the good things in this life, Lord, we thank you today that you have given us your holy word. We thank you that you have given us this written word of Scripture, Lord, that we may know your will, that we may know what you have intended for us, that what is good and right and the path that we ought to walk as your children. Father, we know we can understand that none of these words written here without your Spirit to guide us. Father, we pray that you would breathe that Holy Spirit upon us now, that you would open our hearts and minds, that we may read, that we may hear, and that we may understand. Lord, bless this holy reading of your holy word, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 10 to 20. Listen now to the word of the Lord. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his, mother womb, his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I was uh, watching the, the Travel Channel the other day, because I love to watch uh, stories about like castles and palaces and read about the history of all that, that went in behind them. And they had this really neat show. It was about castles and palaces and the story of how they were built and some of the, the history and lore behind them. And there was this 
one house, this beautiful house in uh, New England called Round Hill Mansion. And it was an interesting little house because it was built by revenge. Or rather, it was built for the purpose of revenge. The man who built it, a Mr. Green, he built it to get back at his mother. Now, the, the story of Round Hill Mansion goes back to, to a woman named Hetty Green. It's the, it's the late 1800s. And Wall Street at this time, as you might expect, is dominated by men. I'm not even sure if a lot of women are even allowed to go on the trading floor. But it's all, it's all men there in Wall Street trading and doing stocks and bonds. But in the mix of this men is this woman, Hetty Green. She was one of the first women to kind of break that gender barrier in investing. And from what I read, she was very good. She was way ahead of her time in investment, and she made lots of money. And that she actually got a little nickname for herself. They called her the Witch of Wall Street. And when she died, she had a fortune amassed of about $150 million. And that's a lot of money in our day. But you got to imagine at the end of the 19th, beginning of the 20th century, $150 million was a lot of money. And she made this through hard work and through innovation and through saving. Now, Hetty Green also made it into the book of the Guinness Book of World Records. But it was not for being the wealthiest woman or being the first woman in Wall Street or for making a lot of money. She made the Guinness Book of World Records for, at the time, being the greatest miser in the world. Hetty Green did not like to spend a penny. She worked really hard, smart with her investments, but she would not spend it all. They said that she didn't uh, uh, spend any money for hot water. She didn't like to have any heat in the house, just the bare minimum. She wore the same black dress every day until the dress wore away. And then she bought another black dress that looked exactly like it. And she was so stingy with her money, her young son, when he broke his leg on a sled, uh, she went to look for a free clinic. She didn't want to spend any money on a doctor. And she took so much time trying to find a free clinic that the broken leg became gangrenous. And they had to amputate his leg. So when she died, she left $150 million, uh, half to her son, half to her daughter. And her son received his fortune of $75 million. And so what he was going to do with it is he was going to spend it. He felt like his mother's stinginess cost him his leg and he was going to get her back. And she wanted nothing more than to save money and to accumulate wealth. And he was going to do nothing more than spend it. So he took all of his mom's money and he built this huge mansion out at Round Hill in New England. And he had a hangar and he made this big field for zeppelins to land. And he partied and he was just an icon of the Gilded Age. And he lived it up. So much so that when he died, he'd almost lost all of his mom's money. You see, he built that mansion out of revenge. So the question I want to ask you is, who committed the greater sin? Was it the mom who did nothing but hoard the money? Or was it the son who did nothing but spend the money? One hoarded the money, the other squandered the money. Which one was the greater sin? Now, a lot of you might answer that question differently depending on your personality or maybe your occupation. But what I like about the story is that it illustrates 
a wonderful point made in the book of Ecclesiastes. And that is if we try to find meaning and purpose in life through wealth, we will fail. Trying to find meaning in life through your wealth and money is utterly and absolutely pointless. Now this is a, a special risk for us because as human beings, as economic creatures who need money and need wealth to survive, when we search for meaning and purpose in life, wealth poses the greatest risk. Because of all things on earth that we will search to to fulfill us other than God, the most likely second candidate is wealth. Or for some of us, actually, wealth is the first candidate that we put forward to find meaning and purpose in life. Wealth is the greatest rival in the human heart to God. Of all rivals we have in the human heart to God, wealth is the greatest rival. And because it's the greatest rival, it is also the greatest threat. And wealth could be such a great threat in the human heart that Jesus, when he talked about wealth, said it was the one thing that we could not serve and God at the same time. And Matthew said, he says, you cannot serve both God and mammon, which is, which is wealth or money. Because you'll hate one and lose the other. It was the one rival Jesus acknowledged to God in the human heart, and that was wealth. Now, when I say the word wealth, most of us think money. But wealth in Ecclesiastes and wealth in the Bible and, and Bible times was not just money. Because this was not really a cash or money economy that much as it was a trade and barter economy. So when they talked about wealth, and when we're talking about wealth today, we're talking about your possessions. That's everything you own. So that is your money. That's the stuff in your bank account and your wallet and your investments. But that's also your house. Your house is wealth. The land the house is on, that also is wealth. Your car is wealth. The clothes on your back are wealth. The food you have in your pantry, the furniture that's in your house, the electronics that we carry with us all day, even your pets, those are all part of your wealth. And all of us have wealth. All of us need wealth. Without it, we can't have much of a life at all. Now, in this part of Ecclesiastes, Solomon examines the role of wealth and how it mixes in with our search for the meaning of life. And Solomon was a good person to make this observation. Because Solomon was a man who was extraordinarily wealthy. I mean, this guy was rich. Even by our standards today, this guy was rich. He had it all. And when I say it all, everything that life had to offer. So he stands in a pretty good place to talk about the role of wealth and the meaning of life. And this is the advice that Solomon gives us. Do not expect too much out of your wealth, but do not forget to enjoy it as well. Do not expect too much out of your wealth, but do not forget to enjoy it. He says, it is okay to enjoy your wealth. I mean, that's probably something I shouldn't have to tell you. You worked hard for it. 
right? You earned it honestly. I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt. I'm assuming you earned it honestly. I don't think we have any robber barons here at the church. So you should not feel guilty about the enjoyment, about what, what your work has produced. It's okay to enjoy your possessions. But at the same time, don't look for your possessions and your wealth to do any more than that. To give you a modest amount of comfort and enjoyment. But it's not going to give you life. And it's not going to give you meaning. If you try to do that out of your wealth, you're, you're, you're putting too much on wealth. You're putting too much expectations on wealth. The wealth just it can't do it. And your expectations will be disappointed and they may even be broken. Now, now the first uh, reason Solomon gives us for not trusting wealth is the first one is wealth is never going to satisfy you. No matter how much you have, it's not going to satisfy you. This is what he says in verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. If you love money, and if you're looking for money to satisfy you and fill up your life, you're never going to have enough. There's never going to be enough money, and you're going to keep wanting more and more. And this is for those who love money, whose great devotion is money, who are looking for money and their wealth and possessions to fulfill their life, to make them happy, to, to give them that sense of confidence and faith in life. But if you're looking for wealth to do that, you're never going to have enough. And the reason is quite simple. Because money can't buy you what it is you really need. What you really need is peace. What you really need is joy. What you really need out of life is that quiet confidence deep within you that you are loved and you matter to God. What you need is that deep confidence and faith and hope that your life matters and is meaningful. And money can't give you that. No matter how much you have, money can't give you that. And if you try to use money... To give you that sense of, of peace and confidence and faith in life, you're always going to want more. You're always going to need more because what you're doing is you're, you're seeing this God-shaped hole in your heart and you're trying to get money to fill it up. And it's like throwing money in a furnace and there's never going to be enough. And that's why we, we see these cases of, uh, of, of men who are extremely rich that are caught stealing money. And it's so confusing to some of us because you're like, you've got millions of dollars, sometimes billions of dollars, and yet you're caught cheating or stealing just so you can get more money. I mean, and why in the world would you do that? It just doesn't make any sense. And the reason why is because they're not satisfied yet. And all they know is to get more and more and more, and they're tortured by this need, driven by this need for more. Because that's all they know. The other reason Solomon gives for not trusting money is because one day you're going to lose it. And you will lose it. One way or another, you are going to lose every bit of the money that you have. This is what he says in, in 14. He says, There is a grievous evil I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. A shudder of the stock market. 
a bad investment. And all your money can be gone in an instant. All your money can be stolen. Everything that we have can be taken by somebody else. I'll never forget this, this one couple that I, that I knew in hospice. Worked very hard their whole life. Had saved up a, a retirement nest egg of over a million dollars. And a few months before retirement found that their accountant had stolen every single bit that they had. And there was nothing they could do to get it back. You never know what's going to happen with your money. and You can always lose it. And even if you keep it for you the rest of your life, you can't take it with you. Verse 15 says this, As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. What he said in the book of Job is, Naked I came into this world, and naked I will leave. And whatever I earned, whatever I built, Whatever I accumulated in this life, I'm going to leave every single bit of it behind me. So that's what I mean when I say, you're going to lose it one way or another. And what happened to Hetty can happen to you. All of your wealth, all of your work that you take hours and hours and years and years to accumulate can be squandered by your children or your children's children or maybe somebody you don't even know. The work of a lifetime blown away, squandered in the course of a few years. It's kind of depressing if you think about it like that. But that's exactly why we don't put too heavy expectations on our money and our wealth. It's just wealth. What can it do? It's actually not fair to wealth to put that kind of burden on money and riches and wealth. It's unfair to wealth because they can't value peace and joy and faith and hope. And they certainly can't value salvation. So what is money good for? If you can't value those things that we need more than anything else in this world, what is money good for? Well, first of all, our wealth is good for providing what the Bible calls our daily bread. Our clothes, our food, our need of the body. That's our need as long as we live in this earth, in this body, our need for wealth. And all of us have wealth. Even if your wealth is only a tent and a can of beans and the shirt on your back, that technically is wealth. And it's here to provide for these needs of the body as long as we are in the body. Second thing wealth can do is if you have enough of it, you can do good things with it. You can do good with the wealth that God has given you. When Jesus talked about this, he said, you make friends with your wealth. He said, use that money and make friends. And that was his way of saying, do good with it. Do some good. Give it to some people that are needy, to charity. Help another life. Use your wealth to bring some joy to somebody else's heart. Give your money to the Lord. And after this, after providing for our daily bread and doing good, there's only one thing wealth can really do. And that is offer us a level of comfort and enjoyment in life. And that's something wealth is quite good at, and it can do this. Offer comfort and enjoyment in life. This is what it says in verse 18. It says, Behold what I have seen to be good and fitting 
is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. To eat and to drink and to find enjoyment in our toil. What Solomon is saying here is life is short. And the older you get, it only gets shorter. Even the older you get, you look back and it was shorter as you look back than it was when you were going through it. Life is short. Try to find some enjoyment. Take some time to find some enjoyment. Enjoy what you've worked for. Enjoy what you've put your blood, sweat, and tears into. It says in Ecclesiastes, enjoy your toil. And I don't think what he's saying here is enjoy your work, enjoy the things you do for a living. He says enjoy what your work has accomplished. Enjoying your toil, and that is your wealth. That is what we've worked for is to build up these things that we own. Our house, our car, our bank accounts. Saying work hard. And take time to enjoy the fruit of your labor. Don't feel guilty about enjoying it. He's saying if you've got the money and you've worked hard for it, you want a nice house, buy a nice house. If you've worked hard for it and you've got the money and you want a Mercedes, I say get a Mercedes. If you've been saving up and you really want to take that trip to Europe, Go take the trip to Europe. I don't know when you're going to get the chance again. We don't know when they're going to start shutting down borders again or shutting down everything again, shutting down the economy, or, or when we're going to have the health and the ability to enjoy these things. Enjoy what God has given you. Just don't expect too much out of your wealth. Let it give you some comfort. Let it give you some enjoyment, but it won't bring you fulfillment. Don't expect too much from your wealth, but don't forget to enjoy it as well. So I ask you again, who committed the greater sin? Looking back at what Solomon and the Bible taught us about wealth, who committed the greater sin, the mom or the son, the one that hoarded the money or the one that squandered it? Well, I'm going to tell you, neither one of them followed the advice of Ecclesiastes. For her whole life, the mom hoarded money, worked hard, built up this huge nest egg of wealth, and never in a day did she enjoy it. And i got to tell you, that is a shame. To work that hard at something and never take some time to enjoy it. On the other hand, her son thought he could find happiness and fulfillment in the things that money bought him. And he expected too much. Both of them sinned with their wealth because both of them ignored the gift that God was offering. And this is what Solomon tells us the gift God is offering. Everyone to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. 
For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. To us, God has given us wealth, the power to enjoy it, and to accept life as it comes. That is a gift. That is a gift because we all have some wealth. And with that wealth, we're meant to support ourselves, to do good, and to enjoy it. That is the gift of God. And I would actually go so far to say that it is an act of trust if you can enjoy your wealth. Now, of course, not if you go off the deep end, okay, and go crazy and, you know, do some of the crazy things we hear about people doing with their money. But if you can avoid that and be moderate in it, enjoying your wealth can actually be an act of trust in God. Because after all, the best way to enjoy life is to trust God with your life. Actually, the only way we can enjoy life is to relax, to trust God, and enjoy what He has given us. To trust God with the big matters in life, and we just worry about taking care of our business. Work hard, spend wisely, save wisely. Believe that God is taking care of all that big stuff like meaning and the fate of the world and salvation and purpose. If you do that, then you can eat and drink and find enjoyment what you have earned. God is giving that to you. God is giving you that as his gift. Just don't expect too much from money. There's only, only so much you can do. Don't put any hope in money because one day it will all be gone. Fix your expectations upon God. Hope in Christ and only hope in Christ. And if we do that, we can accept more out of life. We can do more out of life. And yeah, you can even enjoy more out of life. And finally, don't let anyone tell you that you can't enjoy the fruit of your labor. Because you have it right here. From the Spirit of God right to your ears. Enjoy the time He has given you. Enjoy the things He has given you. This is the gift of God. And to God be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.